2: From The Recount, I'm Rina Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today's Monday, October 18th.
3: There's nothing in Haiti for them. They left a long time ago. And 10 years in Haiti is is a long time because things change so rapidly.
2: That was Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder and publisher of the Haitian Times. He'll break down the ongoing crisis in Haiti a little later on. But first, the morning headlines. The holiday season may be getting a little merrier. Dr. Anthony Fauci, White House chief medical advisor says fully vaccinated people can now gather together safely this holiday season. It's a major reversal from the CDC's guidance earlier this month that urged people to be cautious and celebrate outdoors or with virtual gatherings. Fauci voiced concern over a potential fifth wave if more people do not get vaccinated. The nation's top infectious disease doctor warned the pandemic is not over. According to the New York Times, COVID tracker, while there is a 23% decrease in COVID-related cases over the past two weeks, still roughly more than 1,500 Americans are dying daily from COVID. While most states are seeing a decline, Alaska and Montana are recording the highest number of cases per capita in the country. It's being dubbed Striketober. Americans are leaving their jobs in record numbers. August saw record-breaking 4.3 million people quit their jobs, with workers having more opportunities in the job market. Hundreds of thousands of people are striking over grievances about wages, benefits, and quality of life. According to Cornell University's School of Industrial Labor Relations, there's been over 178 strikes this year alone. Just last Thursday, 10,000 John Deere workers at 14 factories across four states staged a strike after the United Auto Workers Union rejected a contract offer. The union is calling for increased pay, improved retirement benefits, and removing forced overtime. This is the first strike in 25 years at John Deere, with the last strike lasting 163 days. Similarly, over 1,400 Kellogg's employees went on strike on October 6th, demanding better pay and benefits at factories in Battle Creek, Michigan, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee, and Omaha, Nebraska. And Hollywood averted a huge halt in production on Saturday after over 60,000 production workers reached a deal hours before a planned strike. And lastly, Haiti. Haiti. 17 missionaries, 16 Americans, and one Canadian were kidnapped while on a trip to an orphanage this past Saturday. That's according to Christian Aid Ministries. Five of those kidnapped are children. A Haitian police inspector told the Associated Press that the 400 Mawazao gang kidnapped the group about 17 miles east of Haiti's capital, Port-au-Prince. The U.S. State Department is aware of Saturday's kidnapping. The problems plaguing Haiti today including its gang violence, are extremely complex. How can the U.S. and the international community help bring stability to the country? And what's America's responsibility to Haitian asylum seekers? Here to help us better understand what's happening in Haiti, Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder and publisher of The Haitian Times. Gary, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rena. I want to ask you about the U.S.-Mexico border, the migrant crisis there. There was a camp of hopeful Haitian asylum seekers, and it grew to fourteen thousand. The U.S. was criticized for their response. The videos at the border—we saw officials on horseback appearing to whip the Haitians to try and prevent them from crossing over. Pretty disturbing. Why were they there in the first place?
3: Well, Reena, these asylum seekers were people who left Haiti after the earthquake in large number.
2: Right, the massive earthquake in 2010.
3: They went to Brazil to work in the construction industry because Brazil had two major events. It was organizing the Olympics and the World Cup. And so about 150,000 Haitians went to Brazil to work. After the games were over, there was nothing for them to do. And the Brazilian basically said, you're out on your own. They couldn't get a job. They realized that they didn't need a visa to get to Chile. And they faced blistering racism the welcome was not red carpeted. And then when President Joe Biden extended TPS for Haitians, TPS is temporary protective status given by the U.S. to countries played by natural disasters or conditions where they can go back. Word started circulating in South America that if they came to the border and they got into the United States, they would be given TPS, it would be extended to them. So that's why you had this migration that took as long as two to three months from South America up to the Mexican border. There's nothing in Haiti for them. They left a long time ago. And 10 years in Haiti is is a long time because things change so rapidly.
2: So the situation on the ground in Haiti has really only become more chaotic since the May announcement regarding TPS by Homeland Secretary Mayorkas. President Jovenel Moïse was assassinated early in July Then come August, the country was hit by a 7.2 magnitude earthquake. Tell me what the conditions are like in Haiti now.
3: Well, the earthquake hit the Southern Peninsula, which is a home to roughly 2 million people. And about half of those people are still what we call living in tent. We could call them homeless, internally displaced. A lot of people left their village, their towns, their hamlets where they were living and are seeking refuge and shelter in other places. There's some humanitarian aid, but it's not enough.
2: I want to ask you a little bit more about the assassination of President Moïse. Haiti's chief prosecutor said in September there was actually credible evidence linking the acting prime minister, Ariel Henry, to the president's murder. Shortly after that announcement, the prosecutor was out of a job. What's going on there? How is this impacting the justice
3: system? Well, first of all, that was really irresponsible for the justice to say that. He provided no evidence whatsoever. His evidence was that Ariel Henry, who is the prime minister you were speaking of, had a call with someone who's supposedly wanted in the assassination. Well, that person is a former government official. Now, this is a small circle of political people, right? So the fact that they were talking to each other means absolutely nothing. In fact, if they were not talking to each other, it would be a problem because everyone was shocked. I know I was when I heard the news. And so people were trying to talk to each other to figure out what was going on. To answer your question, what it does, it muddies the water even more and, and it extends a chaos on top of what already exists. Because he should know better as a prosecutor not to make accusations without providing the evidence. And so it was unfortunate because I think the investigation right now lacks credibility because of that. And he was out of a job because I, I think Ariel Henry, who had the authority to fire him, fired him for cause. And so. There's no one now. There's no investigating judge. And so the case remains in limbo. The Haitian police have also detained a wide
2: array of people in connection with the killing. That You've got 18 Colombians, several Haitians, Haitian Americans. They're still seeking others. What do you think the likelihood is that there'll be justice for the assassination of the
3: president? If we're counting on the Haitian judicial system, we're not going to get much justice. now. The FBI and Homeland Security sent investigators there. I'm not sure where they are in their investigation. If I have any hope, it is for them. Because they don't have any skin in the game. They're professional. They're not going to protect anyone. They'll just follow the facts and let it take them where they may.
2: You know, a lot of people look at countries where they don't really have a strong justice or political System. How does the international
3: community help a country like Haiti? Well, right now, we have to go back (laughs) to to really help strengthen these institutions, as you mentioned, that are the pillars of democracy. And when they are weak, as they are in Haiti, it's like trying to build a house from the third floor up. You can't. It's a ridiculous notion. Just even think about it. Our profession, the media, is actually very weak. They're not well-paid. In fact, it's probably one of the lowest paid professions in AD. Well, it's not that it's paid that well here either, but at least we can practice it. Um, and they don't have the training. They don't have the skills necessary to inform the public and to distill and to process information. And they don't have credibility themselves. So we have to look at our profession and what it needs to help inform civil society and the government. And the judicial system, the, the police, they are extremely weak. Gangs essentially control the country right now. The gangs decide who goes where. And uh, at one point, the government had to negotiate with the gangs to allow even the government uh, shipments to get through. I mean, think about that for a moment. So what the international community can do is really try to shore up those basic institutions and infrastructure that you need. Once Haiti has that, the rest they can handle. One of the things I would say that the U.S. did is that they rushed through this democratic process in Haiti. We went through overnight from a 29-year dictatorship to democracy. Doesn't work like that. All the institutions that we were talking about were banned. There was no free press. The police was basically a militia responsible to one man, the dictator. Boys and Girl Scouts were banned. Any, any things where people got together, they were seen as threat to the state. Civil society didn't exist. And we still are struggling with the notion of democracy because it was a a cheap version of what democracy should be. A cheap version of what
2: democracy should be. It's so fascinating, Gary, to talk to you about this. You know, we've covered Afghanistan extensively. And one of the things we've looked at is as we export democracy, we sometimes try to Americanize a country. And as you mentioned, Haiti for so long has been under dictatorship. It doesn't suddenly transform into an American democracy. So, how do we help? How do we help create solid ground for that foundation to
3: be built? Well, the challenge is that the United States doesn't have an appetite for nation building. And that's basically what it would take. Joe Biden has no capital on Capitol Hill to present something like that. It can try funding for some of these things.
2: $13 I don't mean to interrupt, but there's $13 billion of aid sent to Haiti over the last decade.
3: Where did that money go? Well, you know, the government plays games with these numbers. $14 billion did not go into Haiti the last decade. And a lot of it was pledged to Haiti, but not actually delivered. Haiti doesn't have the capacity to spend $14 billion. It doesn't. The economy cannot absorb it.
2: Well, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder and publisher of the Haitian Times on the Recount Daily Pod.
4: places.
2: Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm here with Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder and publisher of The Haitian Times. And we're talking about the Haitian migrant crisis as well as the country that's trying to recover from a tumultuous summer. I want to go back for a second. and, And you were saying President Biden has made clear that he's not interested in nation building. If that is your assessment and your understanding where Haiti is right now, where do you see America being the biggest partner in terms of this particular White House? Where can they make the biggest difference?
3: Well, I think there's a sector of Haitians that has been chomping at the bit to help. It's Haitian Americans who have the skills, essentially have the feet in both worlds. They understand Haiti. They are Americans for the most part and they have the skill sets that are necessary. But previous administrations have kept them at arm's length for whatever reason, I don't know. But it is the time now to enlist them. They have the capital, they have the interest, they have the desire. It's just that there are certain basic institutions, infrastructure that need to be put into place for them to function. For instance, Haiti doesn't have any hospital to speak of. Right now, my generation, you know, we enter in a retirement age. And everybody, it's a dilemma for us. I don't want to move to Florida, and I don't want to move to the Dominican Republic for historical or other reasons. But Haiti does not provide me an opportunity. And there are people who can build really nice housing development for retirees, and they can come back. But you need hospitals. You need uh, electricity. You need a certain infrastructure in place for you to take advantage of that. Haiti is a virgin country, essentially, there's a need for everything, but you don't have the basic infrastructure to ensure that these projects actually take hold and and, and flourish.
2: You had mentioned the security concerns as well, Gary. They go hand in hand with Haiti's struggling economy, the social unrest. Is there anything being done right now to address those issues? And if not, should there be? Can anything be done while the government continues to be so
3: unstable? Yes, there was something that was working along the same line of Haitian-Americans. The Obama administration had created this program, sending Haitian-American police officers from New York and Florida to work with the police national force to help show their capacity. And then Trump uh, administration canceled that program. And I think that's something that they can bring back and bring it back bigger because the security problem is also a job creation problem, because a lot of these young men that these gang leaders have enlisted to go out and carry these kidnappings and, and shootings and all of that, if you give them the choice between a decent job and, and, and doing these dirty jobs, I guarantee you, you know, they'll take the job because they're foot soldiers. They're not getting paid when, when they kidnap someone. They're not getting the million dollars, whatever amount of ransom money that the gang leaders collected. You know, so if they get an opportunity to get a job, they'll take the job. And so you can tackle the security issue on two fronts, both from a law enforcement and also from a social and job economic development perspective. They're intertwined the two.
2: Are you getting the sense that people are still trying to escape Haiti?
3: Absolutely. Right now, the Coast Guard has been interdicting more people in the high seas and really dangerous boats. Haiti's unlivable right now and there's no hope and they are looking to get out. I don't take any pleasure at all of saying this because, you know, I devoted my professional life to Haiti and trying to make it a better place so I can help people understand Haiti, help Haitians understand Haiti, help Haitians and Haiti understand the diaspora. And so, you know, I've been trying to be a bridge builder, rather, and to see where we've gotten it's really disheartening. But I'm also optimistic that, you know, we've reached an idea. This is a moment where we can decide, OK, this cannot continue and we need to turn things around.
2: What gives you the biggest hope about Haiti
3: and what is your biggest worry? My biggest hope is the, the people, the ingenuity of the Haitian people. You have polyglots. these Haitians speak French, Creole, Spanish and uh, Portuguese. That's an asset that they have that they can translate into all kinds of opportunities. My biggest worry is the governance. We've had a coterie of incompetent people at the helm of the Haitian government because they are obstacles to progress.
2: Gary Pierre-Pierre, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and founder and publisher of the Haitian Times. Gary, so grateful you could break down Haiti and explain this to us deeper today.
3: Thanks Reena, I hope I was able to do that, given the complexity of Haiti.
2: And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. Jury selection begins today for the trial of the three white men accused of murdering Mod Arbery last year. Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, was jogging down a residential street in Brunswick, Georgia, before being chased down by the three men in a pickup truck. The men suspected Arbery of being behind recent break-ins in the neighborhood. Arbery's name was one of the many rallying cries at racial justice protests that swept the country last year. First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, along with Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, will host the 2020-2021 and State and National Teachers of the Year at the White House this afternoon. The event honors roughly a hundred teachers for their excellence in teaching and commitment to students learning. The 2020 National Teacher of the Year is Kansas preschool teacher, Tabitha Rosproy, and Julia Ertobe, an elementary special educator is the 2021 National Teacher of the Year. Congratulations to all the teachers, absolutely real life superheroes. Get ready to upgrade. Apple's annual fall livestream product event called Unleashed is happening today. The show offers the latest product updates for Apple, lots of speculation that we might see a redesigned MacBook without the touch bar, AirPods with shorter stems, and the release date for the new operating system, Monterey. The live stream will begin at 1 p.m. Eastern on Apple's website. Have a great day, everyone. See you back tomorrow. This is a Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount, Our thanks to Gary Pierre-Pierre, founder and publisher of the Haitian Times, for being on the show. And if you like the podcast, I hope you'll subscribe to the Recount Daily Pod. Do leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Nainan.